Welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. I'm James. And I'm Charlie. Do you ever hear about science in the news and wonder, there's got to be more to this story? Well, every Thursday, James and I go to the actual research papers behind these stories to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. Today's episode is about why pain hurts. That sounds like a philosophical question. <laughs> yeah. You know, it really blurs on the line of like, what is reality? Yeah. And it's coming out of some new headlines uh, from some recent research coming out of Stanford University that actually tries to measure why is it that pain hurts? I had the chance to actually read the paper and look into some of the research that they performed. So I'll be telling you about the real science behind these headlines. Okay. Well, I have not read this paper, and so I'm going to ask you lots of probably dumb questions. So look forward to that. Hopefully it's not too painful. <laughs> Charlie and I are both PhD students who read lots of papers for our own research. So this podcast is our way of sharing our love for science with anyone else who wants to learn about the discoveries that affect us all. We are the paper boys. All right. First thing off the bat, James and I just want to say thank you very much for listening to Paperboys. Uh, please follow us on Instagram or Twitter at PaperboysPod is our handle. Uh, if you're listening right now, just shoot us a tweet. Let us know where you're listening from. We get a lot of satisfaction just knowing where people are and that they're enjoying the show. So again, at PaperboysPod, check it out. So James, you have a big task this episode trying to explain a crazy deep question like why does pain hurt? What is life? Why are we here? Why? Who put us here? If you have those questions, uh, this podcast episode is not the place to get them answered. But uh, we may explain why it's painful for you that we're not answering those questions. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I think we just lost about half our listeners. But why don't you maybe kind of set the expectations here? Where did you hear about this research? What exactly is this talking about? How scientific versus philosophical is this? So this research is actually very scientific. So it was a great fit for paper boys. It was coming up on a couple of the big news outlets talking about science. A little place called NPR. You may have heard of it. Just um, our biggest competitors in the podcast space. Yeah, seriously. We're coming S up on them though. Sarah Kennig, if you're listening, <laughs> watch out. So NPR said, scientists find brain cells that make pain hurt. Pretty straightforward. It was a pretty brief article, but they had a couple of quotes from the researchers who were working on the paper, as well as some outside researchers who weren't affiliated. Science Daily said, brain cells that make pain unpleasant. That's not even a headline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was a little strange. And then um, there's a YouTube video from Seeker. It's a group that does science videos that covered the paper in like a little short little three minute clip with some images. It's a nice okay. video we'll post. Um, and their title was scientists are close to eliminating pain. Here's how as hmm. a paper boy though, reading through these articles, I wasn't quite satisfied with the technical level of detail that they gave. And I was really curious because it's, it's such an interesting question of why does pain hurt and how do you quantify that? Yeah. Well, and also it sounds like that seeker video is implying there's also this idea you could turn it off. Is that really what this research implies? Um, actually, yeah. Really? Yeah. Whoa. At least the painful aspect of it. And okay. The painful aspect in the sense of, if you think of pain, there are sort of two pathways you can boil it down into. 
There's a okay. sensory re- reflexive pathway. So if you touch something that's hot, subconsciously, your body will just pull your hand away. Oh, I've yeah, I've heard of this. It's like there's two different responses or something. Mm-hmm. And then, then there's like the behavioral aspect of pain. Pain hurts. So you'll be thinking about this pain. You'll take behavioral actions to get away from it. Like you may pour yourself a cold cup of water to, to soak your hand. Or you like may develop fear. Or like swearing or something. Yeah. Is that a behavioral response? Yeah. It, I, that's a really interesting question. I wonder if like swearing, you know, sometimes it feels like it's not controlled. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to grunt when you're feeling pain. Otherwise, it's more painful. Yeah. I don't know where that comes from. Unfortunately, this paper doesn't address it. But maybe oh, you can okay. pose the question to the authors. Okay. But they do actually come up with a really cool scientific way of differentiating between that like initial reflexive action and then the more behavioral action that comes from it. Okay. So when they're trying to answer this question of why does pain hurt, they're really asking, why do we have this behavioral response when we feel pain? Yeah. They're looking at the actual like neuroscience of what's happening in your brain that gives you that response. Interesting. So before we actually get into the details, you know, it's interesting because we all experience pain, but pain's like, it's a really important subject to actually be studying as well. Pain's really useful. And there are people who actually suffer from congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis, also abbreviated as SEPA. These are people who are actually born with a disorder who don't feel pain. Isn't that like incredibly dangerous? Like you could be walking around on a broken leg. And just have no idea. And have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. Do you know, do you know if this affects a lot of people? Uh, I actually don't. I tried to look up how many people it affects and it's very rare. So okay. National Institute of Health didn't even have like a frequency metric for it. Okay. But it's, I'm sure it's common enough for it to get this kind of research funding and for it to make headlines like this. Yeah. And, you know, so that's the spectrum of like feeling no pain at all. But then there are millions of people who suffer from what's called chronic pain that's still very misunderstood as to the causes and how it arises. And is that just that you feel pain even though nothing painful is really happening to you? Yeah, sort of in the absence of any painful stimuli, you still feel it. And the course of action for helping people with chronic pain has been to often prescribe opioids, Yeah, which has, you know, many problems associated with it. Yeah, and chronic pain is extremely prevalent, right? I think so, yeah. I don't even have a figure for how prevalent, but... Yeah, but we all know people who have chronic pain. Yeah, and so... So it's very debilitating, too. So they're studying people with these two ailments to identify where this pain comes from, or...? Well, so these researchers, they're actually working with rodents. They're trying to understand the neurological and biological mechanisms that lead to pain so we can develop a better understanding of it. This would allow us to unlock new drugs in the future that make pain more bearable. So instead of like an opioid that makes you feel really fuzzy and has that risk of addiction, you know, we could come up with something better. And, you know, pain's like a very important part of the human experience too. So I think this research in the like broader context leads us down the road of understanding how sensory information leads to emotional response. Okay. That's fascinating. So what exactly is this paper then? So this paper is from Stanford University and the authors are... Gregory Cordaire, Biafra Hananu, Benjamin Grew, Don Wang, Mark Schnitzer, and Gregory Scherer. They're in a couple different departments at Stanford, but generally doing neuroscience research and some device research for doing like neural imaging, things like that. Okay. And you mentioned this was an experimental project using rodents. 
Mm-hmm. There have been previous research studies on pain that have used techniques like magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, or they've also looked at single neurons in this area of the brain called the amygdala. The amygdala is one of two little almond-shaped structures in the brain that's often attributed to things like memory, decision-making, and in this project, uh, emotions. So it's this small little thing that's buried sort of deep inside of your brain. And so some people have looked at this using those other techniques, but the problem is like with MRI and then the single neuron techniques and anesthetized animals, you're not capturing the, the dynamics. They talk about neural population, so looking at large numbers of neurons. And to really understand it, these researchers found from the previous literature that they needed to be able to measure this in freely moving awake rats. Okay. So how do they actually measure this in freely moving awake rats? <laughs> yeah, it's challenging. But they use this tool called a microendoscope. So they surgically implant a very thin piece of optical fiber into the rat's brain so that it goes down into the amygdala. Whoa. They're measuring this part of the amygdala. It's called the basolateral uh, amygdala. And, okay. <laughs> but it's, you know, other literature has found it's important for this emotional response to pain. Okay, so they're literally digging this fiber right into one particular spot in the amygdala. Yep. Okay, sounds not pleasant, but (laughs) sounds painful, actually. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't (laughs) sound super, it's not like a vacation. Yeah. But, um, so they hook it up to this microendoscope, and then they use these transgenic rats that have a specific protein called G-CAMP. So G-CAMP's really interesting, you know, out of my field of biology, but from what I understood, this protein binds to calcium ions and calcium ions go in and out of neurons when they fire so this protein binds to the calcium the calcium's moving between neurons and this protein has a cool attribute that it exhibits photoluminescence oh like it glows yeah in certain conditions oh and so that's what the optical fiber is for yep so they can essentially measure the brightness of this protein and more brightness is more activity Okay, so the optical fiber is picking up the light signals of this protein that is representative of the calcium moving between neurons. Mm-hmm. Does that only happen when the rats feel pain, or does it happen when they do anything, like anything emotional or involving the amygdala? So that was the first crux of this research paper, was figuring out what stimuli these neurons fire to. Okay. Did they try to find some sort of control? Like they gave them a delicious meal and see what it looks like and then they prick their toe and see what it looks like actually yeah they gave them a full four course meal <laughs> and by four course meal i mean a sugar stimulus wait are you serious yeah wow okay man and, i could be one of these scientists yeah man why aren't you at stanford studying neural brains yeah you know just <laughs> <laughs> not at all really just a little too small of a brain to pull that one off but no yeah so they used a couple different stimuli um, they use what are called noxious stimuli, so stimuli that create pain. So they used hot and cold probes. Um, they used a pinprick. And then they use things that are innocuous, so that didn't cause pain, things like a light touch, so they would gently touch the rat's foot. And also they use some other things that aren't necessarily associated with pain, but they're adverse stimuli, so things like puffs of air on their face or bad odors. Oh, just something to like kind of spook them or make yeah. them feel uneasy. Okay. Two other key ones that they used were electrical shock, which I don't want to go off too much on a tangent, but this is this is interesting because a lot of people use that for pain studies, but they found that electrical shock isn't really necessarily painful. It's just shocking. Yeah. I mean, I meant like the feeling of being shocked, 
feels like some weird internal thing, not like the way it feels when you touch a stove. Yeah. And so they wanted to test to see if that's like a good pain stimulus. Oh, I see. Almost to prove like this is a different sensation than pain. Yeah. So there's some interesting results from that I'll get into. And then lastly, the delicious meal of a drop of sugar water. Nice little sugar droplet. Sounds tasty. Yeah. So if they give them all these different stimuli to represent varying levels of pain or pleasure, and then they measure those using this microendoscope technique, how do they then differentiate the different measurements they took across those different stimuli? Yeah. So that's a great question. So from the imaging, you can identify different populations of neurons that are firing for the different stimuli. So you, you see like 100 different groups that fire at some point, and then you can start to look at which stimuli they respond to. And so then you can imagine putting together these Venn diagrams where it's like certain neurons fire for both oh. the, the shock and the averse stimuli, but they don't fire for pain or sugar reward. Interesting. And you can almost you, map out which neurons correspond to which stimuli exactly yeah okay. so that's what they did and they found there is a population of neurons that respond to pain instead of shock aversion or sugar really pain meaning like the pinprick yeah pinprick hot like too hot too cold whoa okay and so you said sorry this is a population of about 100 neurons yeah it's about 150 or so do they say how many unique neurons in there only respond to pain they said about 6% of the neurons that they measured. So it, like between pain, they call it nociceptive. So like anything that's sort of averse versus sugar is about 24% of the neurons. And then between the different negative stimuli, about 6% only responded to pain. Wow. Okay. That's a pretty small amount. It's a small amount, but it's still significant. And what's really cool about this is like, this means that there are specific neurons in a rat's amygdala that are just coded to respond to pain. That's crazy. They just have that one, well, I'm sure they have more purposes, but in this context, they have that one specific function. Yeah, yeah. So if these neurons are firing when they receive the painful stimuli, how do they know that's not just some correlation? How do they know it's actually caused by feeling pain or that they are causing the feeling of pain? So there are very weird mutant rats that they can use. Okay, they're not, I mean, <laughs> what? they're very weird to me because I'm not in the field. To someone oh. who's in the field, they're probably like, oh, yeah, people use this all the time. Yeah. You could come up with a less offensive term, James. They're, <laughs> they're unique rats. They're actually called mutant rats in the paper. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> uh, Never think, mind. Think like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder. <laughs> but uh, so they use these mutant rats. Um, really, they just they're engineered so that by injecting a certain drug, they can turn off these neurons. Oh, they can, and they can choose which neurons to turn off? Uh, yes. Wow. Yeah. It's called like designer receptors exclusively activated by designer drugs. DREDS. DREDS. Pretty like sinister acronym. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're talking about a little genetic engineering. On mutant rats. Mutant rats. <laughs> sounds like a supervillain scheme. Yeah. I don't know if they have any other nefarious plans with this yeah. research. Under the, under the umbrella of Spectre, an organization of billionaires who... Yeah, I didn't see any like who meet in the desert, DARPA, dark yeah. net funding or anything. Yeah. But this whole research was funded by Bitcoin, actually. <laughs> was it actually? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're <laughs> out to get us. Yep. Uh, so anyways, with this, with these rats, by injecting this drug, they could turn off the pain neurons, and so then they did side-to-side -side comparisons to measure the rats' 
they call it the adaptive escape avoidance strategies. So what are the behavioral actions that the rat takes to avoid pain? And this is related then to what we'd associate with like emotional pain, like pain hurts. I want to avoid it. Okay. So I'm curious, in a normal rat, what do they do when they get pricked or get turned into a hot environment? So they measure this using accelerometers. So you get this quick spike that's the reflexive action. And then over a longer term, you have these, you, not you, rats, (laughs) the royal you. (laughs) Um, The rodent you. The rodent you has a behavioral response. In rats, they do things like licking their paws or like touching the area that was uh, like pricked. Huh. Things like that. Interesting. And so they measured both of those. The, re- the reflexive response, the quick pull away, and then this avoidance or like adaptive strategy. Like tending to the area that maybe still is feeling some pain. Yes. Okay. Yep. So that was, they were doing this the whole time. And then they actually have this like cold floor area that they can run the rats through. And so at either side of the floor, there's like a really hot area that would cause heat pain. Yeah. Nothing that would like harm the animal, but it painful enough that you want to be off of it yeah and then the other side was really cold so it was like zero degrees celsius and 55 degrees celsius oh okay and what they found was like so the rats that weren't treated they didn't have the drug they would go to the cold side and then they'd be like i don't want to spend time here and they go to the hot side and be like i don't want to spend time here so they'd spend time like in the nice in between area huh okay and so you can imagine over like an hour period they measured like how often they were in either of the things and so the frequency decreased for the rats whose pain receptors were not turned off Okay, just meaning like they kind of naturally found the place that was the least painful on the floor. Yeah, they that's like a really pain. that's a really cool like you know you think of examples of kind of math like in class they're talking about oh finding a stable point in a function or something but yeah. this is actually like physically you put rats down on the floor and they find the stable point. I'll show you the graph too. It's actually really cool. Okay, uh, it's like you know this function that converges to a happy medium the oh black yeah. is the non-treated rat and the blue is the treated rat so the rats whose pain receptors were turned off they would go in between a lot yeah this blue line is all over the place yeah there's no so the black line like totally converges right to the middle and the rats just hang out there but this the treated rats are not doing anything so well they're doing a lot but they're not finding any sort of average yeah so this gave them a sense that these neurons were associated with like pain aversion behaviors Okay, so do they know if the rats who got the treatment to turn off their nociception were still feeling anything, or is it just that their emotional aversion to pain was gone? Yeah, so they they were still feeling, like, they still had sensation. So this wasn't just cutting off sensation, so that they were, like, these feelingless, empty drones of rats. Yeah. They And they measured that with their reflexive action. Oh, I see. So before they put them on the floor, they give them a prick and they still do have a reflex. Yeah. So all of the rats still exhibited this reflexive behavior, but the rats whose neurons were turned off, the pain neurons, they didn't exhibit that emotional response to like pain hurting. They like would pull away, but then it didn't change their behavior. Interesting. So kind of going back to what we were saying at the very beginning of the episode, how, you know, just recalling from like high school bio you have those two types of responses. One is you touch the stove and you can't even control it. Your hand just pulls away on its own. These mutant rats still have that experience. Like they couldn't control it. They're going to feel a reflex when you prick them. Yes. But then they don't feel afraid of standing on a hot surface or a cold surface. Yeah, they, they still have the sensation. That's so interesting. I don't know what 
the implications would be for like would this make the rats more prone to hurting themselves yeah and you know we talked like the temperatures weren't set up to harm them they were just uncomfortable right right Um, but i mean maybe it is like the people suffering from sepa where if this rat broke its foot it might just keep walking around and not even really realize it or care that's a great question yeah which i imagine is an unethical one to test but yeah my feeling from the paper was that this treatment avoids that but they didn't do a specific experiment at least that i could glean okay so then were there any other side effects of turning off this nociception in the mutant rat so they they did look into this a little bit they weren't sure whether pain and anxiety rely on similar neural ensembles in that area of the amygdala so they use something called it's like an elevated plus maze so i guess it puts the rat in like this scenario where he'd be like anxious standing on an edge kind of thing okay like a fear of heights yeah all right and they found that the rats who had the pain neurons turned off behaved the same as the other rats they also behaved the same to like sugar stimuli wow so they still have the same aversion to a fearful scenario like potentially falling off of a large height And they have the same pleasure from eating this sugary droplet. But they literally, the only thing that is different about these mutant rats is that they don't feel an aversion to painful scenarios. Yeah. And that's insane. That's so cool. Yeah. And I don't know what, I don't know how this would affect learning, you know, because we can, that's a great neuroplasticity and we, if we touch a hot pan too many times, we're gonna be like, I don't want to touch this anymore. How would this affect them from like learning those adaptive behaviors? I'm not sure. Wow, that all, that actually kind of begs the question that maybe the aversion to pain is something that's learned and they just are shutting those neurons off that learned that. Because, I mean, if the reflex is clearly biological that you can, that, you know, even a baby, if they touch the hot pan, they're going to get pulled, they're going to pull their hand away. Yeah, maybe you're right. If you turned off these neurons that you wouldn't eventually learn that it's a bad idea to do that. Yeah, and that, like... That's, that's a crazy question. I don't know if there's any analog to like, that pain reflex like maybe the thing in the doctor's office where they kick your knee and you're like that feels weird or like electric shock like it feels weird like i don't like it but i'm not like in pain yeah but i don't know i'm not willing to let them plug this into my brain and turn off those genes yet yeah although you know it'd be kind of nice probably help in sports or something like yeah just dig through the lactic acid pain huck off a big jump at the mountain oh yeah or something wouldn't be Oh, you would still be afraid to do it, though. Dang it. I don't think I could overcome that anxiety. Maybe in the fear aspect. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. That's really cool, though. Yeah. I, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. And the way they're able to set this up into these systematic experiments. Yeah, it sounds really cool. It sounds really well designed. Like they really did the, okay, control and then separate everything out very carefully. I'm curious, though, you said you it sounded like this was motivated by the question of chronic pain. How does this all relate back to that? So they did do one final test with the rats where they essentially inflicted some peripheral nerve damage in their leg. And over time, this led to chronic pain that the rats would feel. And so they could measure over a period of like 40 days how the rat responded to pain. So the rats who were uninjured, if you still gave them a light touch on their leg, they don't mind that. And they don't really pull their paw away. Okay. But for the rats who had the nerve damage... This led to significant chronic pain. And so they would 100% of the time pull their paw away. Really? Just from a light touch? From a light touch and 100% of the time for actually like painful stimuli, which makes sense. Okay. But then they found that 
by inhibiting these pain neurons in the amygdala, they were able to reduce the rat's affective behaviors in response to the pain. This is chronic pain from a touch, and they would still uh, they would still have that reflexive behavior, but not the like emotional response where they continue licking. You know when like dogs' paws hurt, they just lick them all the time. Yeah, yeah. So it, like kind of reduced the amount of time that they would lick their paw. Like so that sort of implies that the ones who had chronic pain were not actually really feeling discomfort at that pain, right? I'm not sure how it translates to discomfort, but I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, well, and the only reason I say it like that is that I'm trying to be very careful between saying they feel pain and they're reacting to pain because the whole at the beginning of this, you made the important distinction that the emotional response to pain is different than the sensation of pain. And that's yeah. why it's kind of getting philosophical. You know, it's like, what is yeah. pain? What is what is thought? Well, if the rats could just evolve and learn to talk to us, this would be so much easier. Yeah. Thanks a lot, rats. Oh. I think if they talked to us, they the first thing they'd say is, please stop experimenting on me. <laughs> please don't put that in my brain. Yeah. I actually, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> this is the graph that sort of shows that. If you think of the red as paw licking. Oh, I see. So this is the case where the rat has nerve damage and has not, the pain nerves have not been inhibited. Okay. And there's tons of red. There's tons of red. It's just basically a time series of every time they lick their paw, you get a tick, right? Yep. And there's just like, red ticks galore <laughs> and then you can see for the rat who was treated with the drug to inhibit the neurons there are a few instances of it but i mean the frequency is way less yeah there's a couple ticks early on and then basically almost none after that yeah and that's really cool but so is the result there sort of implying that yes we can inhibit chronic pain it seems like it's possible at least there are a lot of questions that it brings up like Rat brains are not human brains. Yeah. There are some studies that show that rat brains behave like opposite to human brains in certain scenarios. Okay. But but yeah, I mean, this definitely sheds light on the possibility. Yeah. So, okay. Maybe a plausible thing. So are they... That was, um, the, that was like the pessimist scientist in me being like, this doesn't prove anything except well, yeah. that it works in rats. But yeah. Yeah. And we should say that because the way that a lot of these things tend to make headlines is saying... Like, how many times have you read a headline that makes it sound like cancer is about to be cured? Yeah. But we have not cured cancer, you know? <laughs> they People will pick up stories like this and say, oh, we found a cure for chronic pain. It's like, well, hang on a second. <laughs> not quite there. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm glad that you're being overly, you know, pessimistic about it to kind of correct. And to be fair, the article nowhere says, like, we have a cure for chronic pain. Yeah. They're very yeah, yeah. clear about and that, that's, And that's good. Yeah. So this sounds almost groundbreaking but i have no context because i don't <laughs> i'm not in this field does this study actually really change the way that we see pain or were they expecting this kind of result so yeah it's it's hard because i'm not familiar with the whole body of literature and other people are looking into it but i think it we can definitely say this paper it refines our understanding of this complex experience of pain sort of this unified like sensory and emotional response but now we have a better understanding of where these two sensations are unified at this point in the amygdala. Interesting, yeah. At least and almost like where they, I mean, it's not only where they're unified, but also where they're separated. Yeah. You yeah. Because they were able to separate them by turning off one set of neurons and not the other. Yep. And, you know, within the study, they looked at a very specific portion of the brain. It's hard to image large portions of the brain, especially in awake, freely moving animals. So maybe there are some other interesting phenomena happening in other portions of the brain. So that'd be fascinating to look at as well. But... I mean, this is like, this is, it's an awesome, awesome first steps and 
for like a six page paper that just did a great job describing all these experiments. Yeah, I was just having that thought that it's crazy. They identified this just in the amygdala, which is the size of an almond in a human. But our brain is much bigger than that. I mean, it would be crazy to me to think that all of this could be controlled in such a one specific area. I'm sure there's a much broader study to be done on this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it just gets me wondering, too, what are the differences between a human brain and a rat brain in this perception of pain? Like, is it similar or is it drastically different? Yeah. Well, I think that should be pretty easy to answer if we just grow a couple mutant humans, turn off their nociception, put them on some hot floors, you know, prick their feet. Yeah. That's That's ethical, right? Very ethical. Okay. Very ethical. Just call up Charles Xavier. He'll give us a couple test subjects. Yep. (laughs) Just call up the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles otherwise. Mm, Yeah, that's right. Do a turtle study. The mutant teenage ninja turtle brain is very similar to the human brain. It is, yeah. To that of a teenager. Lots of studies have shown that. (laughs) So our own very stupid speculation aside, I'm curious how these uh, mainstream news articles did on covering this paper. So generally they did well. The video is really cool. There's great graphics about the research. So if this is something that interests you, I definitely recommend that. I'm not crazy about the title that they used because sort of how we were talking about these misleading titles that mutate our perception of the state of the art. They say, scientists are close to eliminating pain. It's like really vague, but it, I interpreted that as being like, oh, wow, like we almost have a cure for chronic illness yeah, or chronic uh, pain in people. Yeah. But and, and then, you know, even worse, the it says, here's how. <laughs> here's how. Yeah. Like, oh, watch this video. You're going to know how to eliminate your chronic pain. Like, come on. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you. That's, that's kind of a BS headline. And then the NPR article was good not just a little brief the science daily article was great and they did a good job integrating quotes from the authors there were a few technical things so this is me cutting hairs but um one of the things they said was there was no response in the amygdala to annoying stimuli but technically there was the researchers were just able to identify that specific region that only responded to pain. So there's oh, a region that doesn't respond to that. I see. So they kind of got it wrong in, on that whole Venn diagram thing you were talking about. Yeah. There's many circles in this Venn diagram, and they kind of just pretended like those other circles were not a part of it. Yes. Okay. And the reason, like, the only reason I bring this up is just because, you know, part of why we do this podcast is to highlight the really interesting research. And saying that sort of glosses over this that first cool experiment that they did to identify the overlap and all the hard work they put in in doing that. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it kind of makes it sound like it was an easier problem than it was. Yes. Not that I don't, I don't think anyone's going to read that article and think, oh, that was an easy problem. <laughs> I could have done that in my garage on the weekend. Yeah, but, but you yeah. should do it justice to just how hard it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Overall, really fascinating article. So if it's something you're interested in, I recommend you check it out. Yeah, that's awesome. If you do feel like reading the paper or especially the video that you were talking about from Seeker, we'll post those on our website paperboyspodcast.com we also have paperboys merch we're selling shirts and mugs and stickers the link is also on our site there it's through t public we've gotten some good responses about the shirts so far they look pretty dang sweet so go go check that out and if you enjoyed this episode please reach out to us on social media we'd love to hear your thoughts twitter and instagram we're at paperboyspod join us next week for another exciting edition of paperboys thanks for listening